The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gillen. Hey friends, welcome back one more time to Afternoons with Mike Heard here on the Shepherd Radio Network. Well, it's in the air. A lot is in the air these days of late. We just keep hearing day after day about our air being invaded. And there are so many questions going on. I mean, last week we watched the saga of a balloon of some sort. We didn't know what it was, but it traveled the entire width of the United States before ultimately being shot down off the coast of South Carolina. It was uh, gathering information apparently from perhaps China since then. At least three additional such sightings, and all of which have been shot down. So I need an expert to talk to us and maybe fill in some of the questions that we have that uh, we're not getting answered right now. And I have on the line with me Colonel Brian Searcy, retired Air Force. He's been on my program before. He's a a retired, again, Air Force colonel. He is founder and CEO of the Paratus Group. We've talked about that before. And that's an organization that helps people become aware, self-aware of what's going on in our world. He wrote a book called Prepare for the Real World. The world is not a safe place. So I welcome back Colonel Searcy. Thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for having me on today. I appreciate it. Well, let's talk about what's going on in the country. I've seen other reports uh, from different people that are ex-military, former commanders like yourself. You're a colonel in the Air Force. uh, And they would feel that the American public is not getting the whole scoop of what we might even need to know in order to be prepared. What, from your standpoint, sir, is going on and why do you think we're not getting those answers? Well, Mike, that's a great question. And there, in my mind, there's there's two reasons why we may not be, be getting the information. One, they may actually not know what it is that they shot down, especially with these last three. Um, I'm not necessarily sure I agree with that. We heard some news reports that, you know, when the F-22s were flying by, they were going so fast, they couldn't get a good look at it. Well, they all have cameras. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that they have available that would allow them to see what this looks like. They've now come out and said it is a balloon with a payload, but it is much smaller than the one that was shot down uh, off the coast of South Carolina. Um, so either they don't know or for some reason, and uh, from a strategic standpoint, they don't want that information out in the news yet. And I, I can think of some reasons why that might be important. Um, we don't necessarily want to do anything that could really escalate things with China. It might have to be, they might have to be doing this in a very smart and logical way, bringing it forward. Um, But where we are in society today is we're used to getting news immediately. It's not like it was 20 or 30 years ago uh, during the Cuban Missile Crisis or even at the beginning of the first Gulf War where, you know, a lot of things were going on and the American public was briefed afterwards. Um, We do expect to get information immediately today. So that's one of the challenges that that our government has, I would like to see them being more forthright. I don't necessarily see that there's any reason to hold stuff back, but those are two different scenarios that I can think of why we're maybe not getting information. And I think the second is more likely than the first. Now, weakness is a word that is often attributed to the president and to his administration. Many feel that all of this is happening right now because of the fact that we are not the uh, strong country right now under this current leadership. That's the feeling that many people have, and that that is allegedly spoken around the country. Uh, Then you add to that some of the, I guess, communiques that have come, either from the press briefings or from certain spokesmen that are speaking for the administration, there appears to be like a hesitance. And I understand what you're saying. There, there is such a thing as necessary classified information, which is not for the good of the public dispersion. But what is being said is so confusing and at times downright conflicting. Would you agree with that? No, I would absolutely agree with that. And, and I, you know, when I talk about my situation awareness programs for schools, businesses, churches, and for parents and how to ensure their kids become situation aware to make themselves safe, one of the key things that we talk about 
is the person that looks like they're prepared is is has their head on a swivel looks like they know what they're going to do in case something bad happens has that portrayal of of being able to defend themselves they are much less likely to be a victim they're much less likely to be attacked by the predator and unfortunately what we've seen with this administration starting with the afghanistan withdrawal is just the opposite uh you talked about the lack of communication we're getting from the Pentagon and from the White House uh, uh, spokesperson. I would even take it to that PBS conversation that the president had, where he basically said that, you know, that balloon flying over a country for four or five days really wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah, not uh, a significant threat, he said. Yeah, that's the opposite of what we we, sh- we should be talking about. Everybody in the administration, everybody at the Department of Defense should be talking about how this violation of our airspace and the violation of Canada's airspace for that matter is extremely important. It it is a violation. It has potentially has grave consequences. And let's contrast that with what the the, uh, Trudeau said in Canada. He came out with his ministers of defense right after it all happened and explained everything. That's being forthright. And they didn't release classified information. They talked about what they knew, but they at least allowed the the you know their citizens in Canada candid information about what they were doing and why they did what they did and we're certainly not seeing that from our administration and that that is one of the things that I think Americans are are upset about is you know you don't have to tell us everything but be be forthright with us tell us what we need to know and if you do believe that you messed up that first time and allowing that balloon to fly across our country for four or five days, let us know that and let us know that you're not going to let that happen again. But let, you know, be forthright. He's talked about how he's the most transparent presidency, you know, since time began. That's not what we're seeing. That <laughs> no, is absolutely not what we're seeing. No, I agree completely. And even though the report about the F-22s flying by so quickly, they can't slow down. That does not seem from what I know, and maybe I, maybe it's just my lack of knowledge, but I know that these guys flying these flights, they can have eyes on objects that are uh, either not supposed to be there, and I, I know they've, they've flown many times by airplanes and would slow down enough that they could, they could see. Does that sound like a plausible argument to you? Yeah, as I mentioned, I don't think that is a plausible argument. You know, not only do they can they put themselves in a position to put eyeballs on that uh, by flying lazy eight circles, flying circles around it. Um, but they have, you know, technology on board that F-22 that would allow them to get some very, very high fidelity um, information regarding what that it is that they're looking at. Um, that all goes into the way that the F-22 targets, you know, so the fact that they, they can't explain in more detail what it is. And, and we are starting to hear now it's a balloon. It has a payload. Um, I think they have more information than that. Just like, you know, they started to release information about the balloon over the four or five days at the first one after it, it went across our country about how big it was, some of the collection. And then they, they tried to answer why they let that happen was the safety issue but then the other issue was they were collecting against that platform that may be true but you don't need to do that for four or five days and it sets the wrong message that hey we're going to let you do this now these last three i think what the administration and the department of defense and and canada and northern command are trying to do is to let folks know we're we're able to see these now and we're not going to let them fly and uh, i did hear a retired general this morning talk about how that argument about not shooting that first balloon down over Montana basically no longer has any merit because we've shot one down (laughs) over Canada and we shot one down over Michigan. So obviously uh, now they're not as big, but we have have the ability, if you're going to shoot it down somewhere to figure out where are we going to shoot it down and then what that debris, debris field is going to look like and then choose your location to be able to do that. And I think if the American people look back at what happened with that one that was shot down over South Carolina, they they had a debris field. They showed it on on the news that this is where we're looking within this 15 mile radius of where the debris is going to be based on where we shot it down. Why couldn't you why couldn't you do that over land? Really? And that doesn't make any sense at all, does it? I mean, to, to do that, number one, you're giving something that is foreign, that is clearly uh, not part or it shouldn't be over American airspace. And you've got all of these planes states that it flew over, some of which we know 
Uh, there is a lot there to be seen, if you will, from a military standpoint, and how much easier it would have been to recover and learn what it was that, that was actually looking down on us if it is over a uh, land versus having to get divers and having to go down uh, in the ocean. That just makes no sense to most people. And, and I agree with that. And, uh, you know, now where they did shoot it down up on the northeast coast of Alaska is actually, I think, proving to be a little bit even even more difficult than off of South Carolina because it is so cold. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do find it hard to believe that there was not a need to let it fly over the entire country for four or five days, that they could have picked somewhere right when it crossed over, you know, from the Canadian border, something along those lines, that they could have chosen to do something different. Now, of course, we're armchair quarterbacks. Um, you know, we're using common sense. And that's, I think, one of the things that we're looking at the Pentagon and our and the administration to do is come out and answer those questions that we, as American citizens, we as people using common sense, are asking those questions. And instead of, you know, the rhetoric rhetoric uh, uh, rhetoric we're hearing, come out and actually explain to us why they did what they did. And like I said, if now they've determined that having that balloon fly across the country for four or five days was the wrong thing to do. And we need to continually send a message to our adversaries, admit that up front and let's move forward with that being the policy of, of our country and, and of, of uh, North America. Now there's uh, two things that I think are on the minds of a lot of people, especially if they're listening to what you're sharing, which I believe is exactly right. Number one, you use the word payload. You said that this balloon has a payload. I I would love to have you elaborate on that. And number two, the question that I'm hearing so often, how is it that these things ever got over U.S. air without being stopped in the first place? Those are two questions on the minds of people right now. So take either one of them, and if you will, give us your thoughts. Well, the the payload, uh, the first one, who knows what could have been on there? There could have been cameras. It, we did, you know, see some pictures of different arrays and those types of things. But if you look at what the satellites can do with the uh, collecting imagery, I'm not necessarily. I don't necessarily believe that having cameras on those platforms would have truly given them the ability to get any better images than they could get from satellites. What they can do with the arrays that are on there is listen to communications. They can loiter over locations and, and have more time to pick up on communications. They can probably can have diff, a wider range of bandwidths that they can listen to communications and those types of things. And, you know, so that's the concern. You know, the Pentagon came out and said when it was flying over the sensitive sites, they did things to protect. Um, I'm not, I'm sure they, there were things that they could do, but there's always, you know, what you don't know um, that they're trying to do. Maybe we will learn after we finally get the payload off the, off the floor of the ocean, or um, we have the ability to look at the payload from some of these other balloons to actually see what they're doing and then be able to, you know, figure out if they do get across our country again, how can we mitigate them, the collection that they're doing, but that is part of the ongoing process. And, and then as far as detecting these, I think what we, you know, Northern command came out and said that, um, they had uh, settings on the radars that they were using because we use it to track airplanes. We use it to, you know, track potential incoming missiles. So they're pointed in certain directions. They have different um, gauges that they use so that they can filter out certain things. So now what they have done is opened up some of those apertures, put in, in constraints that would allow them to see these types of things. So my prayer and hope going forward is they've learned a lot over the last week and a half of what they need our systems to be capable of doing. And it looks like they are capable of doing. We just had to make sure all the parameters are set correctly to be able to do that. And and the fact that we picked up these last three pretty quickly are fairly good indicators of that. But hopefully they're going to, you know, Northern Command and, and our Department of Defense in conjunction with Canada will continue to work to be able to identify these types of things. Um, and I think we should expand that not just in, in North America. We should help Europe and, and South America and the African continent uh, to help try and find these things. Because I think we're naive to think that this is just happening in the United States. As a matter of fact, I saw a video that was posted on a social media site of a of a downed balloon with a payload in Africa. Um, so I'm almost 100% sure that this is happening around the world. 
and we just don't know it. We haven't heard about it. And I'm pretty convinced that our news media is not going to be doing any of us a big favor uh, and share what we need to know unless that is somehow uh, given the okay green light from the administration to do that. So we do need people, and I'm grateful for people like you. I know that the, the leadership of our military is it's second to none. I'm grateful for them. I would never want to be uh, a critic where there's just, a, and like you said, an armchair quarterback and nothing more than that, uh, and be critical of our military. It just seems implausible given the kind of history of our great military that we have that all of this could somehow be happening and yet we don't hear about it. And so that's that. I think your words are right. I hope they are making whatever adjustments uh, that they need to make to be able to stop these things. I think one final question before we take a break, and that would be this. Speaking of payload, uh, do you believe that these things could be doing anything or could they ever do anything other than be listeners or spying, if you will, espionage-type uh, orientation of aircraft? Do you feel like any payload could ever be uh, concerning to America's safety or welfare? Absolutely, and I think that's one of the concerns about allowing that first balloon to fly across the United States. If, if they were to believe that we wouldn't shoot something like that down, then they potentially could use it as a, uh, as a weapon, um, and there are a number of different things that they can do but we do have to remember that that actually complicates things for our Department of Defense and our military and our and and our leaders in government, because there, if there is a payload on that and it's a type of weapon that is re- to be released in the air and we we shoot it down, we could be doing the job of whoever that adversary is, whether it is a state actor like China or it is somebody else. So. One of the things we do need to continually do, and it's part of what I talk about in our situation awareness programs, is you have to be continually analyzing, figuring out what you need to do. You can't just make a decision and use that decision every single time. We have to be smart every time. We have to put ourselves in the in the shoes of our adversary and think about what they might be doing and then make decisions based on that. So, and that's the other reason why we have to be careful not to be armchair quarterbacks because I'm, you know, my prayer is that that is exactly what they're doing is they're, they're looking at all of these different things before they make a decision. I do hope that when they, they are on the going to err on the side of shooting it down much sooner than they did with that first balloon, but there are a lot of things that they do have to look at. And and your question that you just brought up, if it is something that is actually weaponized, we don't want to help them actually employ that weapon. Which would be all the more reason to take care of this over an ocean or over a desolate area where there's not inhabitants there. And and that's the part that just boggles my mind, that we just let that first one go for days. And it, there was plenty of time for the White House to get, uh, you know, an idea like, ah, we need to do something here because they're clearly not allowing something that just seems to go against all common sense. My guest today, Colonel Brian Searcy, retired Air Force Colonel, CEO of the Paratus Group. We'll be back with him in just a moment. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years experience, EC Waters is a top train comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. Pastors and financial leaders, do you need expert accounting or tax help? Do you have payroll or 1099 questions? Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, And yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 855-481-9095. On the line with me right now is Colonel Brian Searcy, retired Air Force. Uh, So grateful for the, I believe, the, not only the knowledge that you have, Uh, the composure you have about you, uh, you're looking at things from the big picture. And I think that's what everyone wants to do. All of our listeners who are hearing this, we're just wanting the kind of comfort 
and the kind of solace that comes from a leader who is doing all that they can do. Maybe they're not sharing everything that's on their mind. Even the Bible talks about uh, not not exposing every one of our thoughts. I mean, that that's not necessarily wise to do that in the position of a governmental uh, leadership position. But there are things that we do need to know, and there are actions that need to be made and that's what we are asking our leaders to do. Is that fair? That is absolutely fair. And, uh, you know, one of the, I mentioned that 20 or 30 years ago, things would be looked at totally different because we weren't in an era where we could get information in seconds. We'd get it on our devices where we had the 24-hour news cycle. You know, so things were different back then. And that actually is goes into, you know, the mentality that people have today. They don't have well-developed situation awareness. They don't have well-developed critical personal skills. They just want that information and they'll have that one source that they get it from. And then that becomes the actual truth. And people don't actually question, people don't understand and then do critical thinking. Well, why aren't they telling us this? Maybe there's a reason why they aren't telling us this. But then we need to communicate what sh- what we do need, what information we do need. And I think that that should be a critical part that our, our media does on behalf of, of the of the citizens of our country is they go to the to the Pentagon. They go to the, the administration and, the, and to the White House and say, these are the questions we have. These are the questions our listeners and our, our viewers have. What's what can you answer instead of just saying, you know, we're not going to talk about it and, and, and those types of things. You've got to figure out, they've got to figure out how they can be transparent in today's society. Give us the information that will help the American people not and not just the American people. It's the, all the people around the, around the world because as we talked about this, these devices are being found around the world. Yeah. Um, and then figure out what they can release when they can release it because uh, there are strategic issues that go along with this. And I think if they can help the American people understand their thought process, that could go a long way for us, for, you know, for most Americans that don't necessarily have the background that I do to understand okay, this is, this is why they're not telling us this, but they're being honest and they've told us this so far and they're going to let us know going down the road, what we're going to do. Um, you know, one of the things that we don't want to happen is to have a world war three, um, so the helping the American people understand that. Uh, but one of the key things that we talk about at the Paradis Group is, unfortunately, most people, like I said, don't have these skills. So they don't do this type of thinking. They don't have the ability to think through these types of questions that they might have. Um, and, and that is is also, you know, making things dangerous for the, for our administration to be able to answer questions. That's well said. Uh, there, there's so many things to take consider into consideration that we have to give them the freedom to do that. But uh, this this whole issue of uh, taking uh, your own lives and becoming uh, this whole thing that you've written about in your book, situational awareness, uh, we have to be our own advocates, don't we? Yeah, so that's what our program, we talk about everybody needs to learn and develop their own ability to be their own first responder. And when you become your own first responder, that's how you prevent bad things from happening. At at the Protest Group, it's all about prevention. Um, Worry, we talk about how worry is not the same as preparation. And a lot of people worry today. They're worried about these devices. They're worried about the, you know, uh, balloons flying over the United States. When we empower people with situational awareness, their 10 critical personal skills, and the process that we have in our programs, they become prepared. That's how fear is overcome, and that's how they're empowered to to think about and ask the types of questions I, I, I mentioned a few minutes ago where they do that critical thinking. Their perspective, they understand there's different perspectives. They understand that they need to be perceptive. Um, they, they learn all of that. They learn how to put that together. Then they come up with their own perspective and then determine how to move forward. But when you're prepared, that's how you overcome a lot of these issues that people have where right now they, they don't know what's going on. Um, but if they, when they learn and develop this skill, that goes a long way to helping them figure out and being able to ask those right questions, you know, to the Pentagon and to our administration. Now, I grew up, you know, I have in my mind uh, all of the training that we received in elementary school. I was a public school student back in the 60s. And back then, we, of course, dealt with the, the threat of fallout and the whole Cuban missile crisis that was going on early 60s. 
we we were very aware of our, I guess you could say, imminent danger that could be there. It seems that uh, in this day and age, a lot of people are not, and they don't want to be. It's almost like they put their hands over their eyes and their ears and just say, "Hey, don't say that. Don't don't talk about that." But but that time is over. We need to be prepared, right? Well, not just from a standpoint of something similar to the to the Cuban Missile Crisis or along those lines. It's just that the threats that we're facing in our communities have never been as bad as they are today. You know, when I wrote the book a year ago and it was published a year ago, I never envisioned that a year later things would be as, as much worse as they are. Um, what's going on in our communities, what's going on in our schools, you know, what's going on with fentanyl. Um, fentanyl is not just crossing, you know, the southern border. It's crossing the southern border and it's in all of our schools and it's you know, parents and and most peoples in our communities are not aware of that. But we're you know we're starting to see indicators. You know, a week or so ago, um, in a here in North Texas, a school had you know three fentanyl deaths, um, and these were young kids that were buying something that they didn't think had fentanyl in it. It was laced with fentanyl, and now they are no longer you know with us. They're no longer living. Yeah. It's a, it's a problem that we face. And the only way we're going to solve the problem is is to like is to go back to what you just said is people have to take those blinders off. You know, we've gotten a society today where we think we just dial 911 and then those emergency responders are going to save solve the problem. Well, we call them responders for a reason. They start to go active when something bad has already happened. What we need to do is empower our communities to be able to see those indicators and then prevent those things from happening. We need to learn and to develop and, and become our own first responders, make sure our kids are aware of the threats, see the indicators so they can left of bang, prevent bad things from happening. That's how we're actually going to make a difference. If we keep talking about, you know, how to respond to a suicide or how, you know, just, you know, those types of things, we're not, those are symptoms. We're not going to solve the problem. We need to empower people with the ability to prevent these things from happening. You know, we saw that happen, didn't we, in Loudoun, Virginia, with uh, the parents saying, enough is enough. I'm going to get involved in the school board meetings. And they kind of made enough noise and then became very effective in that process. They, first of all, had to break through and become aware of what actually was going on. And it's going to take that kind of, uh, I guess, vigilance on our part to really make a difference here in this in this country right now because, again, awareness is a major part of the issue. Absolutely, and that's I am encouraged to see those things across our country. But that is still just a minority. We need to we need to empower all parents across the United States with that ability to to do two things. They need to educate their kids about what's going on, and then they also need to learn and be able to take action like this small groups of parents are doing against woke culture and, and other things that are out there and push back against those people that are trying to indoctrinate our kids. I read an article on Fox this morning about a, a woman who came from North Korea uh, years ago, and she now is going to uh, a prestigious Northeast University, and she can't believe that what she is hearing in lectures is the same thing that North Korea was doing to indoctrinate their people and still does today. Um, very, very scary um, we have people today that just take that information in because they don't have situation awareness. They don't have the 10 critical personal skills. They don't ask questions. Um, they're not proud of our country. That's what we need to change. And, and But we need to empower people with the skills to be able to do that, which unfortunately are missing today. And, and that's the mission of the Paradis Group. Now, you're talking about uh, those skills and these 10 things that every person needs to have in, in their own tool belt. Tell us about your book and how people can get it. Yeah, so uh, prepare for the real world. The world is not a safe place. It's, a, it's an action journal. It's designed to be actually part of the program that the Paradis Group has that we it is an online program. It's our learning management and our learning management system that empowers the learning and development of situational awareness, habits, behaviors, and a mindset and the process that we teach that I developed from a process that was in the United States Air Force. Um, like I said, it's an introduction. They can get it on Amazon. Uh, they can get it at uh, Barnes and Noble. There's a lot of places they can get it. And like I said, it's the introduction. And then the next step is to then actually work with the Paradis Group, bring us into your community. 
what we're doing is traveling across the United States and doing situational awareness boot camps where we're empowering people with that first set of knowledge so that they can then enroll in our program, develop those habits and behaviors, become their own first responder, but then even more than that, empower their kids to learn and develop this critical skill. So when they grow up, they go to high school, they go to college, they graduate from college, get a job and get married. They've already got this skill. They can already take responsibility for their own safety, and then they can share it with their kids. Every parent in this word needs to be a first responder then, right? That's exactly right. We have to, we can't rely on 911. You can't you know, rely on the responders to prevent things from happening. That's the goal. 97% of all these bad things can be prevented if people know what to look for, not only know what to look for, but then they know what to do about it. And that takes engagement, that takes situational awareness. And unfortunately, that's a skill that most people don't have today because about 30 or 40 years ago, it stopped being taught by parents. So we need to break that chain and we need to empower the learning and development of this critical skill. Now, going back, if you will, for the balance of this program, I'd like to return to our original discussion on our national defense situation that's been created by these uh, balloons this last two weeks now, uh, last week and already starting this week. I mean, just yesterday, we are hearing more news in real time about things going over the Great Lakes. So with all of this in mind, can people or should people start contacting their congressmen, their senators? What can be done in that area to kind of force the way? uh, How can the people respond in a way that will make a difference? You know, that's a great question. And one of the key things we need to do is empower people with the ability, like I said, to have that situation awareness so that they can be prepared so that they don't panic and then they can ask the right questions. Uh, One of the things we have in our program is to empower every individual to figure out what they're capable of doing and from there then to take that action. So whether it's to contact their their you know state representatives so that their state representatives can can talk to uh, our our national representatives or if it's to reach directly out to those national representatives but not just complain not just ask for answers but ask questions be critical let them know what it is that we want to know then they can convey that to the department of defense they can convey that you know to the administration um, so that they can educate those of us in the public And that gives them the ability to have some of that transparency, but not give away things that they don't want to talk about right now. Um, And I would would say that there's so many people in our country today that don't believe that our administration is doing what is best for the for our country. That further adds a major you know, issue and a major problem that a lot of Americans have. If we trusted the administration, we would be much more likely to wait for them to provide us information. But because we're not getting information and we don't trust them, that adds that degree of fear and those types of things. So, but when you're prepared and you think about all these things, you're able to process it and and not panic and then go and do those actions that we need to do and also get rid of the divisiveness. We don't have to be divisive. We don't, we shouldn't be divisive. We should all be looking for the information, working together, not calling each other names, but driving to get to that common answer that we all need so that we all can make sure that our country is safe, our country is strong, and that our republic uh, stays the number one you know, country in the world. And I think this is why it's so important to hear from people like you, although you're not still in the position that you held for so many years in the Air Force, you were there and you know a lot of people who still are. And I guess my question is, as a a person of leadership that you've held as a colonel in the U.S. Air Force, uh, these positions are working often with both sides of the aisle, if you will. It's a nonpartisan military that we have. What kind of word can you give that would make people feel better about the current military leadership that is under this particular commander-in-chief? Well, my prayer is that the leadership throughout all of our uh, military branches stays true to the, the oath that we all raise our hand to, to support and defend the Constitution of the United States, to follow legal orders of those that are above us um, and, and to not follow illegal orders. And if we, if they stay true to that, now there's, there are restrictions on sharing information. For example, to your point, if I were still an active duty colonel as a wing commander, 
I would not be able to be as candid on a phone call as I am with you today, because there are some are things that I'm talking about are my opinion, number one. And number two, I would, would probably have access to information that would make things more clear. And I would need to be very, very careful that I didn't say something that, that went out of the realm of, of what was being talked about. Very similar to, you know, what the Air Force uh, logistics commander said when he thought we were going to be in a conflict with China by 2025. Now, you know, it, it's turning out that he's he was pretty clairvoyant as to with everything that's going on right now. Um, but again, my prayer is that the leaders that we have in the military from the force, from the secretary of defense, all the way down to the airmen that are on the flight line, understand that oath that we all swore. We need to stay to that allegiance. We need to ask questions of those that are our leaders um, to hold them accountable. And that is how the military for hundreds of years has has you know, stayed mm -hmm. the the strongest military in the world. And, and that's what we just need to ensure that we continue. On a scale to one to 10, Colonel Searcy, if you could answer this, I think it'd be good. Uh, how how uh, much in danger, if you will, do, uh, what's the danger level for the U.S. right now? Well, since we don't have a lot of the information um, that as far as collection and those types of things, um, it's very, very diff difficult to quantify. I would absolutely say because of what happened with Afghanistan and, and what we allowed with that first balloon that we are encouraging those that are our adversaries. And we have to remember, it's not just China, it's China, it's Russia, it's Syria, it's Iran. North um, Iran Korea. is yeah. North Korea. Iran is helping Russia in, in what's going on in the Ukraine. Um, so we are against a number of countries that are aligning themselves. Um, do I think that we're going to have a World War III? I, I pray that we don't. And I pray that the administration and the Department of Defense do those things that are necessary to keep that from happening. That's on one side. But on the other side, we also need to have resolve. We need to make sure that they understand that we're going to defend ourselves, we're going to uh, defend our allies, and that deterrence has to become one of the key things that we talk about again. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that was big for Ronald Reagan. It was big for a number of presidents that we had. Um, like Trump or not, we didn't have any <laughs> military uh, conflicts happen during his term. I think a big part of that was people didn't know or, or were aware that he was not going to put up with things. Um, you can not, you can still have that deterrent um, and, and, but have a different rhetoric than than President Trump had. But that's the key is you need to have, have that resolve um, to be able to ensure that our adversaries know that we're going to defend ourselves and we're going to defend our allies. And unfortunately, allowing a balloon to fly over our country for four or five days did not do that. Uh, I agree completely. Colonel, thank you for being with us today. Colonel Brian Searcy, U.S. Air Force, retired. God bless you. Give us the website real quick for the Paradis Group. Yep, it's www.paratus.group. They can go on there, download a document that we have regarding our 10 critical personal skills that we all need to have to have situational awareness, and they can start from there. Or they, again, they can go to Amazon or, or Barnes & Noble or Books A Million and, uh, and get the book. Wonderful. We'll be back in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. Palm Beach Atlantic University, Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. Here we are again with segment three, and on the line with me, my good friend, Bob Shetler. He's been on several times, sometimes in the studio, today over the line. Welcome back, my friend. Mike, it's always to uh, hear your voice. It's always good to call your friend, and it's, uh, it's wonderful to do ministry again together. Thank you for the invitation. You are so welcome. Uh, Bob and I knew each other from Gainesville, and Bob was the uh, lead pastor there for many years at First Pres. prior to that. And this goes back to when I first saw this man. He was actually in Orlando when I was, and uh, you spent time at two different great churches. One was College Park Baptist, which is now known as Church on the Drive. And you were also working with uh, Dave, oh, Dave uh, over at First Presbyterian. So that's pretty cool. Dave Swanson. 
Yes, uh, I was with him uh, about a year, and then I went to Gainesville. I was at First Pres almost six years, and David had me back in January. I went back, and he invited me to come back and preach at First Presbyterian Church, and it was a great homecoming and, a, and a, just a, a very affirming time to be back with the great people at First Pres uh, in Gainesville, in, in Orlando. Oh, they are so wonderful. And the folks up in Gainesville as well. And I know that they loved you dearly. And uh, since leaving in August of 2019, I recall that being the date. I think I'm right in that, right? That's correct. Yeah, you you left uh, the first press there in Gainesville. And uh, you're one of these guys whose retirement is slightly suspect, my friend. (laughs) I'm not sure you uh, you really caught on to what that was, uh, and you like I, well, we found new things to do. You're you're full. Your plate is always full. You lead the Florida Leadership Center, and you're developing an area, the Coalition of Christian Outreach, uh, and that is uh, for the state of Florida. That's enough to keep a guy busy. But then you've got another event coming up on Thursday, and that's really what I wanted to chat about. Yeah, Thursday event is uh, sponsored by the Florida Leadership Center because our goal is to uh, develop and deploy a generation of leaders to change the world for the glory of God. We do that becoming partners with churches and college ministries here in uh, Gainesville, and we are bringing the Veritas Forum back to the University of Florida for the first time since uh, 2017. Wow. Uh, we've been absent a little bit because we went a different direction with some ministry and then COVID, and I don't need to explain that. And we now have the opportunity this Thursday night in the Rights Union Rion Ballroom at 7 p.m. Uh, with Dr. James Tour from Rice University to speak on the small and the great, a nanotechnologist reflects on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, for all of us, a nanotechnologist, uh, kind of uh, break that one down for me. Well, the best thing that I can do, and I'm not sure that I can break it down, but he, <laughs> he, uh, he is a chemist, and they deal with a lot of the, the small parts of our world to understand that. That's as good as I can give you. Uh, that's uh, that's pretty good. Okay, so he we're, we're talking about things to be seen through a microscope, basically, and yet these components. You know, I just it's ironic, Bob. I was just uh, reading some of the great words from John Piper re- recently. Uh, I was reading it from a number of years back when he talked about the whole macro versus micro, and how that in order to see the things, the expanse of the heavens, we have to look through a telescope and make things that are very, very large. They appear to us very small. And that, you know, yet when we look through in these tiny little windows of a telescope, we see things that are massively bigger than what our little brains can even handle. And that must be what he's dealing with. He is. And, you know, we're, you know, we're blessed that he is uh, a great man of faith. Uh, he has a Jewish background and came to faith in Jesus Christ. And he has a passion for sharing the gospel of Christ, particularly to college students. Mm. Mm. Well, that's a real need of today. And loving the uh, UF campus as I do, I've had a, a, three of my kids graduated from there. Uh, I, it is, uh, and that's why I'm always to my friend John Crossman here in Orlando, constantly uh, ribbing him because he's an FSU guy, and I'm always saying "Go Gators," much to John's chagrin. But all of these uh, colleges, like UF and FSU around the country, they need a revival, and they need to see what this uh, this is all about. I'm so glad to know that right there at Wright's Union, this meeting is going to take place. Yes, uh, Jim's going to come in, and he'll be with us uh, on the evening event that we are. It's open to the campus; it's free, and then he'll be speaking to the Christian Faculty Association and graduate students at lunch on Friday. And he's also going to have the opportunity to speak in the chemistry department uh, with some of their people on uh, on his his own professional level of what he does in the in the nanotechnology chemistry world that uh, he's very well versed in. Uh, because he's written over 700 published papers, 
He's uh, 10 startup corporations and 120 patents. So the, the man is very gifted. It sounds like it. He's got more degrees than the flu. <laughs> I'm telling you, right? <laughs> That's unbelievable. That's great. Uh, Rights Union is a great place. Uh, for those that may not be familiar with the UF campus, this is the Student Union Building. It is so, it, it's always so busy. A lot of great things in there. And it's a, it's a real hub on the campus, right? It is. It's, uh, you know, where students gather, there's uh, a lot of meeting rooms. There is also a lot of food service. Uh, there's a hotel there, and it's, you know, it's very accessible to the main flow of the whole campus. You know, Mike, you were talking about, uh, you know, needing a revival on campuses, and we've been praying for a revival at University of Florida, and I'm sure you've been reading about the Asbury. As a man, yes, I had, I had a pastor who just got back from there. He was on my show yesterday. Well, I tell you what, I re- you know I remember I went to Georgetown College, graduated there, which is about I don't know an hour, hour and a half from uh, Asbury. And back in that day, we did have a, a revival at Georgetown that came and was probably you know pigtailed off of the Asbury experience back in the seventies. Yes, nineteen seventy. Yeah, so it's. Uh, you know, something we would love to see at the University of Florida, and there's more than what we're doing at UF. There's great ministries there, and uh, we're going to have another campus-wide worship service uh, coming up. I don't know the exact date of that, but just just to give you the information that students are bringing these type of services to the campus, the University of Florida. Wow, that is so encouraging to hear, and the the prayer that is going out, and and I've heard from a number of different people, Bob, that. Such outbreaks are happening. Uh, Asbury right now, it seems to be very defined, and who knows how long this particular move of God's going to go on there. My prayer is is that it becomes an extensive uh, outlet, if you will, for other colleges. And uh, what I heard um, during my interview yesterday with a person that uh, was not actually there yet but was going to be going down uh, I had two people who had been there already and were greatly touched by what they saw. One, a pastor of a church, the Summit Church, who was my uh, lead guest yesterday. Uh, his name is Bill Eliff. And there were times that he just got very emotional and, and just broke down. But what I'm hearing from these people that I've talked with about Asbury, they're getting reports of different ministries uh, all around the area in Ohio and other areas as well, where God is beginning to pour out his spirit. I know you've been praying for that for years. We have, and, and you know, I work with a lot of different people here in Gainesville with campus ministries, with churches and statewide. I work with, with four other campus locations statewide. And, and next week I'll be, uh, I'll be in uh, Pittsburgh for a, a Jubilee experience for the Coalition for Christian Outreach. We'll have over a thousand college students there for an event. And, and, you know, we're praying that maybe God would use this to be another catalyst to start some movement of his grace and his love to a world that desperately needs it. Well, there's no great, uh, no other great way than to just pray and then take part in uh, such gatherings, because if the hearts of these students can be changed, it's going to have a real trickle-down effect for the rest of the country. We need these young people to hear the truth, and we're praying that this will be one of those meetings that might bring revival right there to Gainesville, and then on beyond that. Tell us a little bit about the details about what will happen on Thursday. Yeah, Dr. Uh, Dr. Tour will come in and he will begin, uh, if I understand his presentation correctly, on the 7 o'clock event on Thursday night in the Rights Union. He'll begin with a, with a presentation speaking about science and origins and uh, those things that people have questions about. And then he'll move into a presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we'll have a time for uh, what we like to call uh, Q in our uh, questions and responses. Oh, I like that. That. Uh, that will help the students have a chance to express the questions they have and for uh, Dr. Tour to respond to them, not necessarily giving an answer, but to respond to them and giving them more food for thought, for conversation and dialogue down the road. 
Now, is there a charge for this? There is no charge for this. It's open to the public. We have room for 500 people, and we would love to see this thing packed out. Now, you said it was in the Ryan room, in the Ryan ballroom. Is that right? Ryan ballroom in the Wrights Union, University yeah. of Florida. So all of our friends in Gainesville, you need to take advantage of this. The Veritas program has brought a number of wonderful speakers to Gainesville, and Bob's been right front and center with this thing, and this one will be no exception. And that is this coming Thursday night, February 16th at 7 p.m., Ryan Ballroom, Rights Union, Dr. Tour, and that is called The Small and the Great. Bob, beyond this, what's happening with the Florida Leadership Center? Well, right now I'm still working through discipling, and uh, I have been given the opportunity to disciple the leaders of Gator Christian Life, which is one of our largest ministries mm, yeah. on campus. And I still work with Young Life. I do some work with Babbitt's Collegiate Ministry. And we uh, have the privilege of mentoring some young uh, students. And I've been speaking at the Christian Fraternity, Kappa Phi Epsilon. Uh, they've given me a chance to work with them and mentoring some of their, of their leaders. So it's, it's a busy season, Mike, but it's, uh, it's good busy. It sounds like it, and I know I know this uh, answer before I ever ask it, but there's no slowdown in sight for you, right? Not at this point. Uh, the Lord has given me many opportunities, and as long as my health is good and I feel that He has called me to do this, and I will continue to do that, uh, I have a, a deep desire to fulfill Psalm 71, 17, and 18, since my youth, O oh Lord, you taught me your truths. I still believe them to this day. Now that I'm old and gray, do not forsake me until I tell your truth to the next generation. Oh, I love that. Oh, may that be of uh, spoken of all of us that are getting older. And that really is the key. I, I don't think retirement in that kind of a retirement is uh, found so easily in the Word of God. But what I do see is men like you who are uh, like of the spirit of Caleb, who said, hey, show me this land where I'm supposed to go, Lord. I'm ready to go in. I'm ready to take them on, and I'm grateful that you have that heart. All right, that is this Thursday night. Give us that uh, website, how people can find out more information. Uh, our website's the, the Florida Leadership Center, but the information is limited there. Uh, if, uh, if you just remember the date, it's this Thursday night, February 16th, 7 p.m., Wright's Union, the Rion Ballroom. Got it. All right. And I hope you have a great turnout and we continue to pray for revival. Bob, it's always great to have you on the program and uh, we'll have to get you on a little sooner. It's been a while, my friend. We'll work on that. We'll see what else the Lord brings down the road, but pray for you, Mike, your ministry, your family, and uh, God bless you and what you're doing in your reach around this, uh, this state. Thank you so much, my friend. And that's about all the time we have for today. Friends, thanks for being with us right here on Afternoons with Mike. <music> 